we are just mad spiritual beings as children. And then at seven years old, yeah, they're like, okay, kindergarten, first grade, you know, junior high, high school, we are conditioning that mind. We are stripping you of all the special things that make you special. You're going to grow up and you're going to be 16 and you're going to be like, why am I so unhappy? Like, where did that young kid go? Welcome to Openly Spoken. I'm your host, Celia Antonio, growth mindset and mindfulness mentor who loves to lead with quantum self-love. In this podcast, you'll get to hear real and unfiltered stories covering topics around spirituality, womanhood, healing, love, relationships, and more. This podcast is for spiritual, ambitious women who want to live a life that they are in love with and who are looking for a more aligned way to do things because the world loves to tell us women what we quote, should be. So think of this podcast and my work as your guide to bring you back home to your truth and what makes you uniquely magical. Feel free to connect with me over on Instagram at selfexpressbabe, where I periodically share video content from the podcast and where my DMs are open for you to connect with me. I'm so grateful that you chose to listen in today and I invite you now to set an intention, sit back, relax, and receive the transmission coming to you through Openly Spoken. Thank you for being here. Now let's dive in. Hello, welcome to Openly Spoken. My name is Celia. I am your host and I am so excited to kick off this Pride Month mini-series where we're going to be celebrating the LGBTQIA plus community and hearing their stories of their own journeys of coming into their own true self-expression and opening their hearts to themselves, opening their hearts to letting the world see them as they truly are. And I just finished up a call with Jane. We just sat down and chatted. Jane Lyon is our first guest for this month. And Jane is a healer and coach, and she's here to open the hearts of all people to the power of unconditional love. Jane is here as a guide for those of you on the spiritual path who seek deeper truth and more freedom. And you're going to hear in this conversation how her own spiritual awakening journey and her journey of opening up who she is and what her identity is and what her sexual expression is are very intertwined. So that's going to be very, I loved sitting and hearing that it was very interesting. Love this conversation. I literally just got off the phone, so it's still fresh and yeah, her energy is just amazing. Thank you, Jane. Jane has a background in Vajrayana Buddhism to guide her and she uses the tools of energy healing, meditation, and Akashic records to support her community on their own sacred paths. You can hang out with Jane at our virtual yoga studio, Sunrise, heal your chakras with her in her group coaching program, Sanctuary, or even work with her one-on-one -on -one to be mentored on your own precious journey. And I have all of the links to find Jane in the show notes, along with uh, her podcast, her Instagram, all that good stuff. So without further ado, I present to you, Jane Lyon.
let's start recording so we're recording we're recording special <laughs> thank you for being here jane i am so excited to hear your story because of what you shared with me the last time we chatted about how your like spiritual awakening went in line with like you waking up to your identity and who you are and stuff like that and yeah i'm i don't even know where to begin <laughs> Oh, well, I appreciate it so, so, so much, um, and especially because, because to me, like, I always say this, that spirituality and queerness are like one in the same breath. Mm. And, and I'm realizing that the world does not seem to feel that way or like uh, understand it at, at first glance, right? And yeah. maybe I'm here to explore that and help represent it. And um so thanks for just bringing me on to have me represent the community and it's funny because i feel you know june coming and mm. this morning i actually got an email from a buddhist priest in town she's in a totally different tradition than me and she said jane we need a buddhist to give the blessing on the pride flag at the at the like lutheran church where like all the gays are you know it's like the big gay church Aww. in town uh -huh. where all of the different like tradition heads come together and I'm like am I the token gay Buddhist that gets to give the blessing like I really feel like you know I used to be so far away from this moment and I guess I I'm like let's start there I wanted to share that with you because I haven't told anyone yet that I just got that message and um you know for someone who did go through a spiritual awakening and a sexual awakening and coming out and converting to Buddhism all at the same time, mm -hmm. getting that message felt like the weirdest full circle. Like, whoa, wait, you are like, whoa, whoa, this is nuts. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've been letting that land. Awesome. I'm celebrating you for that. Congratulations. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun pride season. I can feel it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, where to begin? Where to begin? Something that actually just popped up when you said it's going to be a fun pride season that you can feel it. What was like, what was your being like around pride this time last year? This time last year? I'm curious if there have been any like radical shifts or anything. Oh man, that's really, it's so funny because I'm like, why can't I even think of what I did for Pride last year? I know that I was coming off of the retreat that I just had. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny because I've been reflecting a lot on where I was last spring compared to where I am now. Mm -hmm. And it's it's so interesting. I think last spring I was definitely someone who was really pushing to make things happen, really pushing to create, really just working super hard to get life going. Mm -hmm. And this season I'm sitting down and I'm realizing like it's going. And I think that I get to chill for a minute. And um, last year it felt like, you know, we didn't get to have pride for like two years. Mm. And before that, I was out of the country, and it kind of felt like I've been I've been missing it. And Pride here in Salt Lake City is huge; tons of people fly in for it. It's definitely become a very 
capitalized event, which is fine. That's um, awesome that Utah has that because like oh, the yeah. whole other, at least here in California, the like, what's the word? The stereotypes of Utah, like I would not expect. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I know. And I totally get that. And the counterculture is just as strong as the theocratic culture here, you know? Mm. And so we have a huge pride festival, tons of people from LA fly out, tons of people, like it's, it's, it's a big celebration and we haven't really gotten to have it. Last year there was like, mm. oh, I'm remembering now. Oh my gosh. I'm like, why do I, why can't I remember pride last year? Because it was this weird, like you schedule what time you want to go and like you get to walk uh -huh. through and they were trying to keep people separated. And I was just like, no, screw this. Like, this isn't what I want. Um, and last year, I feel like we were still working on coming together again. And yeah. the best part is that there's like three brand new gay bars in town that have appeared in the last year. And this summer, me and some of my queer friends, we just, we started talking about it at the beginning of the year, like we need to really be taking better care of each other in our community. And like, really prioritizing friends, you know, just time for our friends to come to get together, to have mm -hmm. dinner together, to have parties together, to, to go out and dance together, to go support the gay bars together, to be mm -hmm. in our community because we've been isolated for so long. And my biggest intention for this summer, you know, not all my friends are queer, but if you're in my community, you're, you're, you're close, you're adjacent, you know? <laughs> and I just, to answer your question, this year at Pride, I just want to be with my queer friends, with my community, um, just being, celebrating who we are. We don't need to prove anything to anyone. We don't need to get in anyone's face. We don't need mm -hmm. to, you know, prove anything, but just mm -hmm. celebrate that we get to be in our complete freedom, whatever that means to you this summer, because next summer yeah. it might change. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. I'm all about people having complete freedom, just expressing who they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's to me what pride is about, whether yeah. you're, mm -hmm. whether you identify as queer or not queer, like you get to express whatever yeah. parts of you want to be shared. And like, isn't that spiritual freedom? Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, for sure. And I'm sure we're going to dive into that more. Yeah, 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 like wrapping it all together already. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I used to live in New York City and pride is enormous there too. And I used to, I was a waitress in Manhattan. So like wow. getting to work when there was the pride parade was the whole mission, but it was oh so fun seeing mm -hmm. like people in like pasties and like wild colorful outfits and I'm just like wow like pride is so fun even if mm -hmm. even if you're straight it's like wow like <laughs> I want to join on in on the party <laughs> yes like aren't we fun don't you love hanging out with us yeah and I think that we give permission to everybody else to be more of themselves like my my mm -hmm. hope is that you're not like oh, do I need to be gay or do I need to change my gender? No, just ask yourself, am I really being my fullest authentic self or have, you know, heteronormative culture conditioned me to act in a way that doesn't feel authentic, mm. you know? And, and we're just, when we're celebrating pride, at least to me, like we're honoring, of course, everybody that came before us that's allowing me to live freely and safely. 
And then yeah. of course, just giving permission to everybody who's, who's there at the events with the vibe to little, unlatch a little more of that freedom for themselves, you know, discover what's there. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> All these images of just like happy humans, <laughs> like, oh my even, God, even though wait. I know that like the journey is not rainbows for lack of a better mm. word. <laughs> Butterflies wow. <and> rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And, and I think that's, what's so beautiful about celebrating queer love and celebrating queer people is that the journey wasn't beautiful. You know, it was, we have such a history of, of violence and oppression and, and just not even getting to exist at, at all and not being safe to exist. And so, yeah, we, we have to celebrate that, that now we get to live, you know, the, the fact that my girlfriend and I can move into a house, walk down the street holding hands, buy something together, you know, like all of the things that we do that a normal couple does that nobody even bats an eye at. Sometimes I'm like, babe, if this were like 30, 40 years ago, like, I don't think that things would be okay. Like, I don't think that this would be very chill. Mm -hmm. And I just always like to remind myself of that. Mm -hmm. I yeah, think it's, it's important. It's wild how a little time has passed and like how quickly things have changed mm -hmm. for this community, for even like people who are not white. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. for women, for so many like minority groups, mm -hmm. but let's get into your whole like journey. Like, I'm not sure where to like, what to ask you to start, but how <laughs> my coming out story. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and, and also like your, your spiritual awakening, I'm going to guess came first. I don't know. I'm curious about that. Like which Good came guess. first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, let me think. Yeah, they're totally intertwined. So it's yeah. funny because when people ask me how I got into Buddhism, I can't not mention that I also found out I was gay and like vice versa. It's like the, the stories go together. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, my whole life, I was very aware that I was different, that I felt differently around girls since I was really, really young. Like I realized like, oh, this is weird this isn't okay. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. this isn't a good thing. Everyone's telling me to have a crush on that boy. And so I mm -hmm. think that I should be focusing on that. And, you know, just typical good old raised in a heteronormative, super, super religious white society <laughs> where, you know, you're just girls and boys exactly as you would have imagined it. I was lucky enough though, when you think about pride, I had in the most conservative, religious LDS city, um, especially in the part of town I lived in, my mom was a very liberal, single Catholic lady, liberal Catholic, you know, very Catholic, but very liberal. And um, she started taking me, my first memory was in third grade. And she took, I, gen, I remember so well, she took me to the pride parade with her friend and one of her friend's daughters. And we were walking there and I was like, mom, what's this all about? Like, why is this important? And she was like, well, Jane, today you're going to see a lot of people that are just really different than what you know. You know, there, there mm. might be girls that like girls, boys that like boys. You might see like a, a man mm. that looks like he's dressed as a woman. And she was kind of preparing me for what I was going to see. And I was like, cool. And she was like, but what I want you to know is that 
even though these people seem like they're different from us, we love them and they're mm. our friends and they're, they're, they're fun. We're going to Pride yeah. to have fun, you know? And yeah. we got there and sure enough, I'm seeing like these lesbian moms with their kids and like this drag queen for the first time. And I feel like because she said that to me while we were walking in, <clears throat> I wasn't frightened. You know, I think a lot of, you see a six foot guy in heels with a beard, you're going to be like, ah, <laughs> you know, but she was like, no, this is, this is, this is a fun, loving celebration about people that are different than us, you mm -hmm. know? And so it's, it's interesting that I had that growing up and yet I was still so conditioned by society that it's so fine for other people to be gay, but definitely not me. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, carried on with that, being an ally and all of that through high school while like really, really shoving back the feelings that I was having. And it was so painful. So mm -hmm. got the hell out of Salt Lake City, moved to Southern Oregon, went to the University of Oregon when I was 18, started college there. Mad culture shock in Southern <laughs> Oregon, if you can imagine. And um, I had a really, really good time, but I had a boyfriend and I was trying so hard to make it work, you know? And um, was this your, was this your like first relationship? Yes. This is my first okay. boyfriend, first, first everything. And mm -hmm. everyone else is kind of exploring and having this freedom. And I'm very much like, <laughs> it's so funny because in high school, I thought I was such a rebellious little rock and roller, which I was, but then <laughs> I get to Oregon and I realize what a prude I am and how like, you know, like everyone's so crazy around here, you know, and I, and I very much was like, I'm going to be monogamous with my boyfriend and like, blah, 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 you know, and um, one of my buddies was even like, Jane, you're not in Utah anymore, like stop judging people. And I was like, I'm not judgy. And I was so judgy, you know, so I was having this crazy culture shock and all of this stuff happening. And Sadly, by the second year of being there and still trying to make it work with my boyfriend and stay straight and mm. <clears throat> all of the other things that I think just happen in college, right? A lot of people get depressed in college. Mm -hmm. I started getting really, really ill, really down. I, I stopped eating. I, I just, I spiraled downwards so quickly and my roommate got me to go check myself in at the health center where they pretty quickly and diagnosed me with anorexia and like a list of other mental illnesses, right? And um, I was like, shit, things aren't good. This is really bad. I'm gonna go into treatment. When, you know, luckily I was at this great college that was like, we're gonna coddle you through this. We're gonna take care of mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Went through treatment and everything. Um, got through school, like really just got through school and wasn't feeling better and the funny thing is that my i was in environmental studies and my my capstone like my major thesis at the end was a specific research research project on homeless lgbt youth in salt lake city as an environmental issue okay. a lot of people there's this beautiful argument are homeless people an environmental issue to me oh, they are yeah. For to sure. other people, right? This is, it's, it's semantics, yeah. but it was, it's so funny looking back, um, how much that project influenced me and helped me realize like, these are my people. And mm. if I, you know, if I'm going to work for them, I need to be true about who I am. And it was just getting harder and harder. So anyways, there was a point that the, the part where the Buddhism comes in is, um, 
just I had this horrible relapse um, during my senior year and I went to the doctor and things were just really bad basically things were really bad they were like you're at risk of a heart attack you need to stop exercising like mm. this very dramatic change to your life needs to happen you can't keep act you can't keep living this way I got a medical leave from school which was the best choice I ever made I'm like raising my voice to anyone who's thinking about taking a medical leave from college if you have the chance to do it if you feel like you need to do it there's no rush to finish school. I am so yeah. glad that I did that. I went back, I finished school. Like you'll go back and finish if you want to. And if you mm -hmm. don't, no one cares. But <laughs> you know, like it, no one cares that I got a degree to be quite honest with you. Yeah, that's I so did true. <laughs> yeah. I so, feel you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I'm like, I don't know why that felt like it needed to be emphasized. But um, so I took a semester off focused on therapy, all of that good healing stuff. But I'm a pretty, you know, intellectual person. I really need stimulation. I really liked being in school. I was doing fine in school, even though I was so unwell. And um, I was like, I also kept feeling like, okay, I already did a round of treatment and mm -hmm. I relapsed. So like these doctors, like they're keeping me alive, but like, where's my desire to live? Like, why hasn't that come mm -hmm. through? You know, like, where's the... I just was like grasping for something constantly and during treatment I started picking up more books on Buddhism and learning to meditate and kind of getting more into those esoteric practices and getting more curious and looking for a teacher but not seeing any teachers anywhere and just kind of continue doing my own thing and mm -hmm. during that semester off I saw an ad in a magazine um, here in Salt Lake City for an eight-week introductory course on Buddhism and it was just like oh that it, I just I can still see it so clearly in my head the moment that I saw that and it was like this is what I'm doing this is what it's I'm doing your, with my semester your teacher you've been asking for <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah like this is it so I signed up and I've literally never been more excited to do anything in my life and I walked into that place for the first class and I learned that I don't have any self-compassion and I learned that that was going to be something I had to work on and um, I continued to go week after week after week after week and about nine months later I converted completely and so I was one of the youngest um, today thank god I'm not the youngest anymore but I was the youngest convert for a really long time I was 21 and the funny thing about converting to Buddhism and I tell this to everybody after you do something like that, everything in your life recalibrates and reorganizes. Mm. And again, I'm still with the same boyfriend. This is four years. All through this. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Through all of this, I am still trying hard to make it work. Yeah. And, um, and it's funny because I invited him to come to my ceremony and he was just like, this is all getting a bit much. Like, why do you have to convert all of that? And I remember thinking like, this isn't gonna last much longer. Mm -hmm. Like I knew that when I decided to put on those robes and take those vows that everything was going to change in a way that I could not imagine. Yeah. I knew that I was doing something very drastic. And I did it and uh, literally I felt like a glow in my face. Like I just felt like my whole energy changed. Two weeks later, I was moving out of his house. <laughs> like I have to start over. And what happened I'm like, where was the timeline? This was, I think, before I converted. 
I came out before then, and I even came out to him before then. I was sitting in meditation at the temple. We were in like a deep two-hour process, and I just got to a point where I saw myself kind of rise out of my body, turn, sit in front of me, mm-hmm. and like look at me. And the funny thing is that what had been on my mind all day is that my best friend was going to study abroad in Italy, and she was bringing her boyfriend, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was like mm-hmm. bothering me. Mm-hmm. And this vision, I'm in this meditation, I'm trying to figure out, well, like, let this go, it's not a big deal. And then suddenly I'm seeing myself like grabbing my own shoulders, like, you're in love with her. You wish you were going to Italy. Like, you hate Uh, the boyfriend. Like, uh that's the problem, Jane. And it was like, it was almost like I threw a fit at myself in this spiritual meditation. It was like, Mm. think about that girl and that time and all of this. And like, and it was like, I just like, why won't you just accept who you are? And it was like this crazy come to Jesus moment at the Buddhist temple. And I wanted to stop what I was doing and run away from that place and get so far away and the thing in places like that is that it's very rude to just get up and leave. And so I had to stay there <laughs> and deal with it. And I, yeah, I went home and I, and I told my boyfriend. And the funny thing is that he, he wasn't very surprised. Mm. And mm. I think he assumed that it would, you know, we would figure it out somehow. But, you know, mm-hmm. a few weeks later, we were breaking up. I had just converted to Buddhism. I am starting to tell people that I'm gay. I have no house. Like all, everything I own is in my car. I'm just like the biggest mess you've ever seen. And I finally just graduated college and <laughs> my whole life is com- completely crumbled down to nothing. And so it was wild because that's, I, I feel like I just did a very roundabout way of sharing that story. I've told it so many times. Um, but you know this healing journey of trying to figure out what is wrong with me why am i not okay why is everyone else happy and i'm not Mm. and feeling like there's some spirituality missing Mm -hmm. some click missing my desire for a spiritual teacher was so much stronger than my need for a sexual awakening or whatever you know Mm -hmm. like it, it was so i think looking back, me being closeted is definitely a giant cause of the illness that happened. But at the time, it was like, I was so far away from that, I had to really go on a long journey of healing to even get to that realization. Mm -hmm. So my spiritual awakening and my coming out story, they're they're completely intertwined. And I'm so grateful for it. Mm -hmm. And do you think like you mentioned how when you were sitting in meditation and you kind of wanted to like reject the truth and not face it, how like what's coming up is like, but you were in the space where you couldn't leave. You were like forced to, you were forced to deal with it. If you weren't in that space, like what do you think, Mm. what do you think would have happened? And what can you tell to anyone who's listening who like, maybe doesn't have that kind of mm-hmm. mm, strictness yeah <laughs> or other people to like hold you accountable mm. to like keep sitting there sit sit in your own shit <laughs> yeah stay with it wow that is such a powerful question Celia thank you I'm like getting chills just thinking about what an amazing question that is And, you know, it's interesting because I did go to probably like 
30 different types of meditation classes between here and Oregon looking for that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's interesting how the strictest, most intimidating, most traditional place is what like I specifically needed. And mm -hmm. a lot of people walk into that temple and there it, we're, it's such a strict tradition that not a lot of people convert like the idea that you have to sit through that meditation and not leave like no mm. one likes that in the modern world yeah. and and i realized in that moment as i continue to be like why do we have to sit for three hours this is so long it's like because you have to <laughs> because, <laughs> because if you really want to be a strong practitioner you have to, you have to sit with whatever is coming up. And if that means you're sitting every day for five minutes and nothing's coming up, keep doing it. And then if yeah. that means the day you do it and you sit down and there's so much there, at least you've practiced sitting there for five minutes and you can be with it. And this is why I'm a meditation teacher now. Mm -hmm. You know, I could not it's so amazing how much we thought police ourselves. That's what's so mm. fascinating mm. about like looking back on my journey is that I would, you know, have a dream about a girl and wake up thinking I cheated on my boyfriend and in my <laughs> mind and like shove it away and 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 not be with it and not be like, "Huh, I had a dream about that girl last night. Interesting." And like yeah. now even if I'm in a partnership and I have a dream about someone else, I'm just like, huh, interesting. I wonder why. I'm not like, oh my God, making all this meaning out of it. And I have to, you know, we thought police yeah. ourselves. And I think yeah. that that's why it's so hard to sit with our feelings when they arise mm -hmm. is because whatever they are, we try to make it wrong. We make yeah. it not okay. We make it mean all of these things. You know, when you're raised in such a, a a Christian white culture, like a girl having a crush on a girl, like mm -hmm. that's distressing in this culture. You know, that was so distressing for me growing up having those thoughts. I made it so wrong. Yeah. Every time those thoughts would come up, I would literally probably go on a three mile run, <laughs> literally probably go to a yoga class, go find a bong to rip, you know, <laughs> just like, Whatever I can do to run away from that feeling, I was doing it. And I really like probably did more drugs in high school and college than I needed to mm -hmm. trying to escape, you know. And so learning to be with it. And I'm not telling you that next time you have some uncomfortable feelings arise, you go sit in meditation or that when you're in meditation and if uncomfortable feelings arise, you have to like stay there with it. Mm. What I would love to invite anyone listening to do is when uncomfortable feelings arise, instead of spinning out and making stories and meaning about it, ask yourself, what is this feeling like needing from me mm. in my body? You yeah. know, maybe you're sitting in meditation and this feeling's coming in your body and it's like, oh, I think I need to move. I think I need to like stand up and like, you know, Mm -hmm. Let that happen. Don't be don't be too rigid. We're not I'm not here to tell everyone to be as rigid as I am. I needed serious strictness and I do to this day. Yeah. But not everybody needs that. Not everybody thrives that way. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think a lot of times if we're feeling sad or any name any negative emotion. 
We're going to make a meaning out of it. We're going to make it right or we're going to make it wrong. And then we're going to do something to cope with it. And yeah. I'm here to say cope in whatever way you need to. I am not here to shame anyone's coping mechanisms. But notice what you're hoping it's going to bring you mm. and see how you can just like put your hand on your heart and give that to yourself. Yeah. You know, maybe I want to lay down. Maybe I need to go for a walk. Can we allow it? And, and the last thing I'll say on this is that I have really mastered. There was a time in my life where if I was triggered, I would fall apart. I would get in bed. I would blow off the whole day, right? Mm. That was me at a very low point. I've gone to a point in my journey where I have mastered the idea that, okay, I've got 10 minutes before I got to teach this class or jump on this call. I'm going to give myself 10 minutes to feel the hell out of these feelings. Mm. Just let it all come through and trust that if I just allow it to come through, cry, scream, whatever the energy wants to be moved, right? Let mm. go of the story, move the energy. Usually by the end of those 10 minutes, I'm like, okay, let's go. We're, we're back. Yeah. Yeah. And what we what I what we do is that we say, oh, no, I have to I have this class. I have to do this call. I have this interview today. I can't fall apart. I have to keep it together. I have to keep it together. Mm -hmm. I can't fall apart until the end of the day when you're just mm -hmm. totally numbed out. Mm -hmm. But literally, I'll be like, OK, Jen, you got about an hour. You want to give yourself like 30 minutes to like get in bed and feel this or whatever and then like start getting ready to snap out of it. Mm -hmm. It's just such a gentler way to care for myself day to day. Yeah. I love that. It's like you're, you're being your own mother and you're nurturing yes. yourself, giving yourself what you need. And it's, and it's so interesting that like we, as humans, when we have something where we're like, oh, I can't feel that I can't fall apart. I have to keep it together. We're making this, this like discomfort and this, uh, uh, contraction last longer than it needs to. Mm -hmm. yes. And in, in this, um, in this movement of like, I can't fall apart. Like we are falling apart. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Like that's exactly what we're exactly. doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really silly if you like think about mm -hmm. it, but keeping all the energy in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's really such a, everything, everything that you mentioned is, is so simple yet. We don't, do it because we're afraid or we're conditioned or because it's really like it's not hard to just pay attention and not judge what comes up mm -hmm. that's what compassion is mm. and yet and it, it's it's easy but it's hard it's also mm -hmm. the hardest thing in the world <laughs> it takes so much practice and you know the thing that sometimes I would get frustrated with in my journey is that as a teacher I'd have people say like Oh, well, yeah, I've been meditating every day, um, but like, what's the tip to get better? Or like, what's the fix for more? Like, what's the app that mm -hmm. I should use? Or, you know, like, then I stopped meditating because it wasn't really doing much for me. And I'm just like, you're coming to me to ask me these questions. And what you don't see is the hours and hours and hours that I have spent sitting on my cushion in that temple, stiff as a rod, not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, like you didn't see me in Nepal for days on end alone in my retreat cell, chanting mantras, feeling waves of discomfort move through my body. You know, yeah. like I'm lucky enough mm. that I've gotten to have all of these opportunities, but it's not, it, it's been such hard work. 
It's been so much practicing, so much practicing to get to this point. And some days I look back on the 10 years I've had of this rigorous practice and I'm like, whoa, I can tell you the story and see how far I've come. But really like, damn, I still fall apart. I still have really hard days. I still get angry. I still doubt my teachers. I still am like, two hours are up. When are we going to be done, man? <laughs> like, I don't want to sit here anymore. You know, like I'm still me. Yeah. And so, God, if there's if there's anything I can just like, it takes work. You have to make the choice every single day that you want to change these aspects of yourself and stay on top of it or else it will just be an autopilot and you will just continue with these cycles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you end up living a life that's not actually true to you. No. that's that's heartbreaking mm-hmm. oh I know I know that's that's why we're here right yeah that's exactly <laughs> why we're here I also I got chills when you were mentioning that you were in Nepal and were you in a cell by yourself chanting mantras for hours <laughs> no I just made that up no, oh. I, yeah no that was true that's true for, for how long <laughs> um so my first trip to Nepal I spent seven days in the monastery by myself I was delivered food okay. and then each afternoon, evening-ish, my teacher's attendant, who's one of my teachers, he's like my Nepali Tibetan uncle, he would always, and it's funny because I wanted to stay in my room and he'd always come in and be like, Jamie, let's go. And he would take me to the sacred sites to make offerings and to, so you're pretty much everywhere you go in Nepal, if you're a Buddhist, you're practicing. And so it's really mm-hmm. amazing. So that was my first time there, um, sitting with the nuns at 5 a.m., you know, trying to keep up with their chanting. Wow, that sounds amazing. It was, it is wild, you know, and then I went back before the pandemic with my whole sangha, 25 of us white Westerners flooding into Nepal to be at the monastery, to be with our teachers. And that was even more challenging because I was with 25 of my brothers and sisters dealing with all of them you know i was like wait being alone here was way more fun i was like the center of attention it was just me and now there's all these people here and um again i'm the youngest and sometimes i feel like i have so far to go so Mm -hmm. yeah i have been blessed with those experiences and i went there totally thinking i'm gonna become a nun and i'm gonna stay there And we romanticize the lives of nuns and monks, you know, we romanticize the idea of being an expat and, and shaving my head and taking monastic vows, you know, that's a really, really serious, drastic life change. And I got there and I realized I, this, I love this place. This feels like home. I'm meant to be here, but I'm still an American. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not meant to live here full time. I'm not meant to become a nun. Maybe someday I'll take a retreat and I'll take the vows, but um, yeah, it's more of a space to go fill my cup, go on my Mm. retreats, get my teachings and yeah. Yeah. I've never been on a retreat. I really want to go to one. (laughs) You should think we haven't planned our next spacious oasis yet, but it's a great starter retreat because it's super Mm. chill. So yeah, I love retreats. I just made a podcast this morning about um, just how important it is to give yourself those settings to mm. go deep because that's obviously my first time in Nepal was I was there for a month but I was only in the monastery for seven days and it was just 
completely life-changing, you know, to, to be in a setting where you're like, I'm here for spiritual growth. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not here to see, still seeing sites, but like, I'm not here to be a tourist. Like, yeah. I remember being at a site with my, with my teacher and I'm dressed as this, as a monk and I'm, you know, people always look at me because it doesn't really make sense. And <laughs> I walk past these kids that have got to be my age that are dressed like I would have been dressed and they walk past me and then they look at each other and one of them goes, Oh my God, I'm so high. And I just <laughs> realized how, like, what a different world I live in, you know? Oh. I was just like, I'm living in a completely different world than everybody else my age that is in this country right now. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know why I just shared that with you, but it was a funny memory of like just a unique experience, you know, being mm -hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. What, what's funny that like you've brought, you brought that up and you brought up like bong rips earlier <laughs> <laughs> and uh, something that's coming up for me to share, like with, with my own awakening journey, like, I feel like weed gave me these like very spiritual and opening thoughts because it, mm. like I started using it at the same time that I started practicing yoga I don't oh, use cool. it anymore, but like, I still have notes in my phone where I read back on them and I'm like, wow, like this is profound. I didn't know mm. that I even wrote this. And it almost feels like it gave me an awakening just at a mental level that my body wasn't mm. ready to receive yet. <laughs> mm, wow. I love that. So, yeah. I just wanted to throw that into the conversation. <laughs> You're like, let's talk about weed. <laughs> it's funny because when I seriously, when I was 16 and I smoked weed for the first time, I literally was like, oh, this is how to be chill. Like I literally <laughs> chilled for the first time. I'm such a manic person that I was like, oh, this is chill. And it opened me up so much. And then like doing all the mushrooms that I did in college and of course all mm. the bong wraps. I, I, people always ask me about like my perspective on drugs and I'm like, if there, weren't th if there weren't such a thing, I don't know if my spiritual awakening would have like cracked me open the mm. way that it did. Like yeah, I didn't I understand. I yeah, mm -hmm. I didn't understand that there was anything deeper yeah. then you know like smoke this plant and feel good or like eat these mm -hmm. mushrooms and like see like psychedelic flowers grow out of the earth in front of you and like <laughs> it was wild but I I what I learned from all of those experiences as much as I act like it was a dark time for me it's like I I blasted my consciousness open and I remember mm -hmm. just thinking like oh the trees are here with us mm. like the people are here with the land, you know, and, and like in Oregon, everyone's always running. And I remember being on mushrooms one time and just seeing someone running through the park and being like, you're missing everything. <laughs> the plants are waving at you and you're not waving back. It's so rude, <laughs> you know, and it brought me that like ch childlike curiosity about the world that I, I really believe we are just mad spiritual beings as children oh, and then at seven sure. years old yeah. yeah they're like okay kindergarten first grade you know junior high high school we are conditioning that mind we are stripping you of all the special things mm -hmm. that make you special you're going to grow up and you're going to be 16 and you're going to be like why am i so unhappy like where mm -hmm. did that young kid go
Yeah. And so I'm always going to be so grateful to psychedelics because I don't know I don't know how we're supposed to keep that child within us in the in the society that we live in. But if we can use that plant in a such a you know reverential, respectful, intentional, intentional. way to mm-hmm. you know be playful, to let go a little bit, to feel that deep connection with the earth again. Uh, I'm like go do it. Mm. Yeah. And maybe you'll be like me. You'll be like, I did it enough. We're good. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. do that naturally now, maybe a little microdose here and there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm like, go, go do all the experimenting and exploring. Again, queer spirituality, freedom. Do whatever mm-hmm. you want. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to bring up something too that I kind of like put a pin in that you've been mm-hmm. You even mentioned it now with like your, your, we're spiritual as kids. And then we go to school and like society molds us. And then you mentioned how, when you were in Nepal, it was like completely different going for spiritual growth by yourself versus with other people. And I think Mm. that can very much relate to this whole identity of being like, am I queer? Yeah. I'm queer with myself, but can I show this to the world? Like it's two, Mm. it's like these two different, like there's a coming out to yourself, I bet. Mm -hmm. And then, and then to the world Mm. little by little, like first to like the people you trust. And then eventually you're like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the coming out to the world part is, was to me the scariest. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the people that are in my life, like they just, no one cared. (laughs) You know, like they just want me to be happy. And I used, I was such a femme my whole life that people were just mostly like very surprised because like, how can a girl who wears that much lipstick be gay? And it's like, isn't that where we got the term lipstick lesbian? I don't know. But coming (laughs) out to the- I've never heard that before. No? No. Oh, you've never heard the term lipstick lesbian? No, I haven't. Oh my God, that's hilarious. We have our own flag and, and everything. I mean, I don't really identify that way anymore because as I've gotten more comfortable with myself, I, and this is, oh my God, my students, and I have been talking about this so much lately in my- in my group program, like this idea of dressing for the male gaze, I'm probably going super off from what oh, you just asked yeah. me. No, 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 you're not going off topic. But you, yeah, go ahead. This, there's something this, about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took me a long time. Like for a long time, I was like, oh, I'm just such a femme. I'm mm-hmm. a lipstick les. Like, and then I realized, and then of course I'm going out and guys are always hitting on me and I'm like, that's not what I'm going for. And I'm trying to tell people that I'm gay now. And like, nobody's believing me, which is the weirdest Mm. part. Like my closest friends are obviously like, do your thing, Jane, we love you. And no one else is like the the greater scheme of society. You know, so many people are coming up to me, asking me questions. And I'm just like, I'm so confused at why you think I would like move out of the house I live in, leave my boyfriend and tell everyone that I'm not who I've been pretending to be all this time. And I'll be serious about it. So that was the hardest thing. And then what so many people do after they come out is all of a sudden they have to figure out what their expression is, Mm. their gender expression, how they want to show up, how they want to look. You got to cut your hair. You got to get this. You got to do that. And um, I feel like it took me so long to just get comfortable with the way that I present. And I'm in a place now where I'm like, 
I don't care if you think I'm gay or not. It's really yeah, yeah, yeah. weird that like we even have to prove these things to people, you know? It's yeah. it's weird that I remember my mom told me somebody, one of her kind of more gossipy friends called her um, when I was coming out and was like, I heard that Jane's been dating this girl and that they've been like going out. Like, is Jane gay? What's going on? And my mom goes, are you calling me to ask me who my daughter's sleeping with? Because I'm pretty sure that's none of my business. Weird. <laughs> I love your mom. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, thank you, mom. It is nobody's business. And the fact that I'm trying to tell everyone like that I like to have sex with girls is like not something I should have to be screaming from the rooftops. Yeah, because if you're oh, straight, yeah. we don't have to we don't have to tell people about our mm -hmm. intimate lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't have to get people to believe you or exactly. We don't have to anything. tell tell people like what our kinks are and like, you know, <laughs> yeah. get all like Yeah. It's no one's totally. business. Mm -hmm. That's why it's that's why it's so wild just the way society re reacts to us being who we truly are is like it's none of your fucking business mm, how really I want isn't. to live my life and mm -hmm. all they are doing which um this can probably this is probably something that you talk about being a buddhist like all these people are doing is creating their own suffering because they're mm -hmm. like this person is that way and I'm going to create contraction in my mind and body about it. Mm, wow. What a beautiful way you just described that. That's like exactly <laughs> how I imagine it. And you're right. Like the first truth of, of Buddhism, the first noble truth that the Buddha shared is that life is suffering. Mm. We are going to suffer. We are absolutely going to suffer. We are going to create so much of our own suffering. And if we can realize how much of our own suffering we create, maybe we can find a path, mm. a spiritual path that helps us transcend that suffering. And, and he promises to us that there is a way. And he's like, it's my way, but I'm here to say like, there's, it's all, it's always whatever way yeah. is your way. Mm -hmm. Um, we've, we've got to notice when we're creating that suffering for ourselves. And, and that's really what I'm here to do through all of my programs, through all of my teachings. It's like, I deeply believe that we are here to recognize that we're suffering, recognize that there is a way to transcend it, and then devote ourselves to walking that path mm -hmm. to hopefully achieve some level of enlightenment in this lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. That's much needed work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some... I could keep talking. <laughs> I know. I'm like, this is fun. What else you got? <laughs> I have some like rapid fire questions I like to ask towards the end. And cool. then I'll leave the space open for you to share where people can find you. And maybe if you want to share any like program you have open during Pride or whatever you feel like sharing. So mm -hmm. the first question is, what does self-love mean to you? Oh, Oh, Self-love means to me being gentle on myself as often as I can and being compassionate towards myself, which means um, to be aware of when I'm creating my own suffering and, and be gentle enough on myself to shimmy my way out of that suffering. Mm -hmm. Beautiful answer. <laughs> and then finish this phrase, the way to my heart is... 
Oh, the way to my heart is unconditional love. <laughs> yeah, easy enough. And then uh, when do you feel most alive? Mm, oh boy, I love asking this question, but no one's asked me this in so long. <laughs> when do I feel most alive? I mean, the first thing, since this is rapid fire, the first thing that comes to mind is just, you know, like I just came back from my retreat, being in a group of people and, and guiding an experience and feeling like we're all so deep in that portal mm -hmm. is just the best feeling ever. It's that reminder of like, this is exactly the work I'm here to do. Um, and so I would say that what makes me feel alive is like, being able to influence the energy of a room in such a positive, loving way, mm -hmm. helping other seeing, seeing that I can activate everyone's heart chakras and connect them just through my words. Mm -hmm. That makes me feel very alive. Spoken like a true spiritual teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. And last mm -hmm. one, what is your favorite part about being queer? Oh my God, what's my favorite part about being queer? Um, okay, this is a more of a cheesy answer, but like, I don't know if there's any girls listening who just like loved having sleepovers and being girly girls and painting your nails and staying up late and watching rom-coms, but like, that's my life with my girlfriend. That <laughs> sounds fun. It's seriously, I'm like, you know, my straight friends don't have someone that's going to like do their nails with them every week mm -hmm. or like, you know, we'll get ready together and like help each other choose outfits and make sure that they like go together and like I'll go steal her makeup. And, you know, I grew up with so many sisters. I have three sisters and um, I've just always loved I've never had men around. And so the fact that I just get to live in the girliest household and, <laughs> you know, just be who I am just mm -hmm. be who I am and not apologize about it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like I know that I could create some much deeper meaning around being queer, but sometimes I just want to tell the world like I, my life is just a big slumber party with my girlfriend <laughs> and everyone else is jealous. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> also, I'm celebrating you that you can be yourself. Mm, it's awesome. Thank you. It's amazing. Mm, that's so kind. I appreciate that. You're welcome. So mm. where can people who have tuned in find out more about you and find you online? Yes. Uh, find me on Instagram at Jane of 801 is my Instagram. You can also find me on TikTok. I've been playing over there a lot mm. these days. Um, my website, janelion.me, is where you can find you know, guided meditations, downloads, free classes, things like that. I do have a virtual yoga and meditation studio that's just basically a membership um, that gets you on-demand access to me, classes, new classes every week, at least two. Um, and then I, I do have this amazing program called Sanctuary. Um, we're just finishing our, our current round. We have about a month left. So I do have the wait list running for the next round. And that is a full chakra energy healing program. I like to call it my get your shit together program because we do everything. We go from root to, you know, to crown and we work through everything. 
Um, so that's just an amazing program. And then I have one uh, one on one spot left. Actually, I was just letting my people know this morning. I've got one opening for uh, one on ones this summer. If if anyone's listening and for some reason they're like, I need more of Jane, come <laughs> work with me. Um, but yeah, I'm always I'm always playing on my Instagram. If you live in Salt Lake City, I love hosting live events. Um, obviously, I host my retreat, Spacious Oasis, once a year. Um, so yeah, find me on Instagram. Come say hi. I'd love to chat with you. Awesome. Thanks again for being here. Yeah. Oh, you're frozen. <laughs> oh, Celia, thank you. I just want to really... Oh, no, am I frozen? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, good. Okay. I just wanted to thank you for inviting me onto the show to represent my community, honestly. Uh, um, when I see a true ally, I just like to let people know that they're being one, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think just the way you invited me on here to to just represent and celebrate Pride Month, like it just means so much to me and for our community to be seen and honored. It's just, again, the work of a true ally. So thank you, Celia. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Openly Spoken. I know that there's an abundance of content online, so I really appreciate you giving me your ears today. If this episode shifted something for you, please share this with a friend and slash or write us a podcast review if you're listening to this on iTunes so that more people can find this. If anything shifted for you from this episode that you want to have a conversation about, I would love to hear from you. Just send me a DM over on Instagram at selfexpressedbabe, and that is in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.